Well, welcome everyone. How are we doing today? You survived the rain. Man, the rain came, the winds blew. It's good to have you here today. If you are online, I want to welcome you no matter where you are around the world in 180 homes. Some of you in Colorado, some in New York, some in South Africa, and it's good to have you here. We are in the final message series in the Sermon on the Mount, and this has been an awesome journey. I just returned from a gathering of people passionate about disciple-making. We were answering the question, what is a disciple of Christ? And how do you make disciples of Christ? The reason that we gathered this time together with these folks was, these are some of the key leaders across Chicagoland, some real humble spiritual shakers and movers, and it was awesome to be with them. And as we were talking about what is a disciple and how do you make disciples, and that's the biggest one because that's what we're called to do, really the biggest question that we're going to answer today is an epic story that Jesus tells. And it's really why in the world to make disciples. You've heard me say this before, a lot of times we count noses and nickels, but if we really want to measure what God wants us to measure, how many of us have our life aligned with Jesus Christ? We are apprentices of Jesus. The words that he says are words that we're living out in our life. I know how between being a Christ follower who's got his life aligned with Jesus. That's a, is my mic cutting out here again? There we go. Not a problem. It works when it's on everyone else, but it doesn't work on me. It's the funniest thing how that goes. This is really important. Let me pray. Father, as I bust into your word today, I want any little nerves to be out of this thing because it's such an important time that we have here. I'm thinking about Moody students who are in academics, and boy, if they can get this, it will bring freshness to their studies like nothing else. I think about moms and dads who want their kids to follow you. It will give them a life that is so integrated with your son it will change them and change their kids. I know, Lord, that we can, in Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, outlive the dominant culture around us. And I want that so badly for us. For every person listening to me today, God, please let this be a watershed moment. A time when we never look at Christianity the same way again. I'm asking for this. In fact, I'm going to stop right now. Lord, please. We have such a cultural issue today where we're wanting to... No, we're not wanting to, but we are ordering our lives around shoulds and ought tos and need tos, even as it comes to going to church and getting into a small group and all these things but Lord I beg you help us to order our life around you apprentices of Jesus disciples of Christ and I pray
pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 28, verse 29 and 30 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Not even into our message on the mount here yet, but I want to highlight a couple of things that are very important. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, he said to go and make disciples, not converts, number one. Number two, he said, teaching them all that I've commanded you. No, he said, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. It's a big difference, guys. Alignment of our life and learning to observe the teachings of Jesus in our strength is going to be painful, arduous, spiritual whack-a-mole. We talk about that where something keeps cropping its ugly head here and there. But when we live in the power of the Holy Spirit and we are aligning our life with Jesus and we're learning to obey his word, Christianity works as it was always intended to. How many people does Christianity work for? How many people are living out biblical Christianity the way God prescribed in the scriptures? I don't know what those percentages are, but I'm going to be bold here this morning and say that it's low. But here's the best news. How many want to be living it out like a disciple? How many want their lives to be radiant, shining, and integrated, and healthy, and something our kids look at and go, yes, take me to your leader? How many of us want that? Most of us in this room. But what is the true test of a disciple? Let me tell you what it is. The true test of faith and discipleship, I would add, is whether or not we survive storms. Isn't this cool what God gave us today? The rains came, the winds blew, but my life is built on you. See, the true test of faith and really discipleship is whether or not our lives survive storms. Today I've titled this message just simply Rock Solid. And I want that for you in a big way. You ever heard of the Millennium Tower in San Francisco? Come on. Anyone heard of the Millennium Tower in San Francisco? Anyone? A couple of you. It's uh, pretty famous for something. It was built back in 2009, 518 residences, super high-end finishes. Joe Montana, other 40, ex-49ers, celebrities piled into this thing, millions of bucks. Each unit, like minimum three mil. And it goes up from there. The Millennium in San Francisco is an epic facility. It's beautiful, but it's got a problem. From 2009 to 2014, it had sunk into the earth 18 inches. And in that short amount of time, it was leaning 14 inches at the top of the building to the west. 14 inches to the west. The cost of units in that place have gone down. You can get units in the millennium right now for 1.2 million that sold for 3 million a few years ago. 
And if you're a gambling man or a gambling woman, it might be a good gig because I'm, I'm kind of iffy on whether or not they're going to figure out how to shore this thing up or if they have to demo the whole sucker. I don't know where it's going to go. But man, the fight has been intense in San Francisco because the developer said, you've done everything wrong here. You've got other people building around us and it's undermining the, the terra firma, the ground that we're building on. And so this is why this building's going over. And so they spent, ready for this, two years ago, $100 million to shore up this foundation. And in the last six months, it sank another inch. And it's tipping over now every year at a rate of three more inches to the west. I got to tell you, I'm an adventurer. I'm not sleeping at that place, man. And the reason I'm not sleeping there is because their greatest worry is what? An earthquake. We're in the Bay Area, don't you know? I built a couple of fourplexes right down the road from San Francisco in a little beach town called Hollister. And we were just 400 feet from the San Andreas Fault. Now, if you know anything about footings or foundations, you need to know something. These were monsters. I mean, the amount of concrete that went into the footing, the amount of rebar that went in there, and on the wall framing, it was wood tilt up, but we had to do what's called lead embracing, where you're putting these 45 degree braces, like carving them into to the studs. I mean, you gotta build these places down there. Why? Because when the ground shakes, it rolls. But the biggest problem in San Francisco is not that there's earthquakes, it's that, that everything they're building on on those rolling hills is basically sand. You know what they do? They drive down pilings and pillars, 80, 100 feet, big ones. And they're hoping that if they get enough of those things down into the sand, it's gonna be okay, but the Millennium Tower is falling over, baby. The point of that being, you can look great, but if you aren't built on a rock, in a matter of time, you're going down. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 24 through 27. Watch these words. One of the most simple, most powerful, relevant stories Jesus ever told, and it's the cap of this little series. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Powerful passage. Jesus is laying out for us a big dividing line between two people and two people only, two different kinds of people. But there's really only three kinds of people in this world today. If you take this story and extrapolate it out, there's three kinds of people in this world, period. The first one is this, those who have never heard the words of Jesus. This is why we find in Romans, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Because until you hear the words of Jesus, you do not have a chance to be rock solid. 
The words of Jesus are like rebar to the soul. It puts foundation in us. So one group of people is those who have never heard the words of God. The second group are those who have heard and not yet put them into practice. And the third group are those that have heard, put them into practice. And they might be imperfect, but they are rock solid. I got some tough news according to this story for every person in this room. We don't want to throw around words like, you fool, Jesus warns that when you have disdain for people and you start labeling people. This is why I'm so down on labels on people. A lot of the psychological labels that are put on people, I got to tell you, the reason Jesus didn't invent them and use them is that he was very careful with what he called people. And he saved most of his names for the religious elite, those that were putting loads on people that they wouldn't carry themselves. He was very compassionate. For the most hurting and dysfunctional people on the planet, Jesus had mercy. So I'm very slow with those words. But although Jesus says, be careful, don't call a person raka or fool, he will characterize people as being foolish. And that's what he said. Now I need you to know that with Jesus giving this story, there's one thing that separates in this room today wise person from a fool and it is this the application of truth this is super important this is such a simple simple story that sometimes we can maybe fly by it or it turns into a little Sunday school song or something I need you to hear me it is vitally important that we understand that in order to move from being foolish to wise, it requires the application of truth. Here's what's great about this. It means that any person on this planet can move from foolishness to wisdom. All it takes is the application of Jesus' words. Super exciting. You know, one of, the, one of the things that I love about Rob Bielan, who's right here in the front row, he's a teacher, and he's constantly believing in his kids at school that if they get truth in their hearts and apply that truth to their life, God can remake their lives. That's why he loves to be a witness on a high school campus. How cool is that? One thing that separates a wise person, and it's the one thing, from a fool is the application of truth. And so I want to go back to the Millennium Tower and dispel some myths because I know a lot of us think that we need to look like a Christian, we need to act like a Christian. There, there needs to be certain things about us that characterize that person is a Christian. But here's what I want you to know today. This is super important. I know there's some distractions here right now, but listen to me. I want you to get broken free from this notion that you have to wear spiritual masks. I want that to end. One of the best books that's ever been written is True Faced. Another cousin to it is called The Cure. And it's written by three guys lovingly called the three amigos 
And these guys finally got so sick of the church that seemed to be paralyzed in foolishness, and they realized the thing that was killing people is that we were walking around with masks. I want to be this bold. I think all of us in this room came in here today with some form of a mask on. I'm not saying that God wants us to just be so raw and honest that we just puke out every emotion, every thought that we have. There's discretion. But being known is critical. And not feeling like I need to try to prove to people that I'm okay that kind of image culture and that shame culture that we sometimes cultivate in the church needs to go. If we're going to have authentic, dynamic relationship with Christ, we need to have honest relationships with each other. So I just want to grant you today this privilege. Please don't feel like you need to wear a mask to be here. I've seen enough. I've heard enough. I heard my bride tell someone the other day, we were talking with someone, and she said, oh, you guys can't believe my story, and my bride gave the perfect line back to her. She said, oh, you can't believe how many stories we've heard. There's no way you can shock us. And there isn't. I've heard everything. I've seen it all. And because of the grace of God that's been shown to me, I want you to know God sees you, and it's okay, and he's going to move from where you are to where he wants to take you. How many times have I said it here? Although we might have some people in recovery here, as in going to a recovery ministry, I need you to know something. We are all in recovery. And the sooner we remember that, the better off we're going to be. So I want to spend the next just few minutes of our time talking about this question. And it's super important. What keeps us from becoming rock solid? In fact, I don't want to put the first one up yet. In fact, if I could retitle this with another subtitle, it would be what keeps us from working out the truth in our life? What keeps us from applying the truth in our life? And I've got three things that I want you to consider here, and I want you to consider them deeply. Because you know the word. Jesus laid down some powerful words. He talks about how to deal with conflict, how to deal with temptation, how to deal with betrayal. He deals with almost every topic we face in life just in the Sermon on the Mount. So why is it that if he gives the answer to the things we're up against, all the stuff that we're up against, why is it we are so slow to apply it? Why? You ever think about that? Well, I think I've got the three reasons this morning why that is true. The first one of this is this. It's the deception of knowing truth. What did Jesus say in the Great Commission? Go into the world, make disciples, teaching them everything I have commanded you know. Teaching them to obey or observe everything I've commanded you. Now, be careful. 
Because the minute we go here, we get into that legalistic kind of church culture and you start thinking, oh man, here we go, we got a list of rules. No, we got a list of teachings by Jesus that if applied, hear me now, with the power of the Holy Spirit, which is humble and surrendered and saying, God, conform my life with the image of the Son right here. Show me how to do this. And we move from becoming knowledge brokers to truth appliers. Everything will change. I got a tough one for you. We had a man come into this discipleship meeting via Zoom that's responsible for a church planning organization in the 1040 window. Humble, godly guy. Was a mega church pastor here stateside and decided, I got to go make disciples around the world. And they are doing it. 35,000 legit church plants this year they're planning on possibly more, and they're on pace for them. And the stories go on and on about what God is doing, but they are death on this. We got to get more knowledge. In fact, he said something to this effect. It's probable that the Pharisees, those that Jesus blasted for throwing weight on people's shoulders when they couldn't or wouldn't carry it themselves, were the most knowledgeable people at that time of God's word. Now think about that a second. If that could be true, that it was the Pharisees that were the most knowledgeable people of God's word, why do we persist on thinking that if I could just know more, if I can go to another message, if I can listen to favorite brand X preacher, if I can go to this seminar, if I can go to that webinar, if I can get into this Bible study, no, 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 let me set you free this morning. You've probably learned enough already in your short spiritual life that if you went back and looked at the notes of all that you learned and knew and began to apply it, you would be changed like you can't imagine. We've done you a disservice. Me and my pastor buddies, we thought if we could just get you in here, get you into more services, get this knowledge in you, get you into a small group, you just got to know more. You got to know our problem is not the absence of knowing, it's the absence of applying. See, the deception of knowing truth is that you know some stuff. And I know how this can go because there's been seasons in my life when I find myself walking into a room and we all kind of put on a little mask and I've been around pastor buddies before and a question gets asked and inside my heart I'm like, ooh, I got an answer to that. I got an answer. I know some stuff. But you know what else? I know if we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, he will lift us up. Whoa, now there's some truth to apply. I know that if I abide in the vine, I will bear fruit. And so how many times have we said this here? You go to John 15, you got a choice. You can focus on abiding in Christ, or you can focus on producing fruit out here, but you can't do both. I mean, just in John 15, we've got enough to apply until Christmas. <laughs> really? 
We can go to Christmas going, all right, let's go training on how to abide in the vine. To be filled with the Spirit, to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Let's go to school on that in 2023. Because I love y'all. But we all got some growing to do in being filled with the Holy Ghost. No, being honest, man. So I'm just loving you here like a brother. And I'm just telling you, and I said this was a watershed deal here, we've got to break from this knowledge-based, information-based Christianity because information unapplied makes you a Pharisee. This is, and I haven't hit you hard enough yet. I'm just getting warmed up. And here's why. I need you to break the curse of this horrible Christian model that we've given you that says, if I could just know more, if I could just learn more, no, no, no. Why does Jesus say, I want you to come to me like a child? Don't tell them to turn away. And he says it's people with childlike faith that rock and roll in the kingdom of God. And the Greek word is nepios. It means one without words. It means this is our posture before God. It means that we just hold up our arms and we don't have a word to say. We don't say, oh, this is what I know. I know the Ten Commandments. I know all this, that, and everything else. Kind of like the rich young ruler. But we just hold up our hands and go, God, I know some stuff, but there's a whole lot of stuff I don't know. Ah, uh, ah, uh, I got no words. I'm coming to you like a kid, God. We have done something dastardly to the church. Dastardly. It's a great word. We have given you the false notion that if you just learn a little more, you're going to be better. No, you won't. Only what's applied to our life will change us. Jesus said it. You got a beef with me? Take it straight to the Savior right now. Don't go to me. The rains came, the winds blew. But my home and house is built on you. How? The application of the word of God. I said this was going to be a watershed message. It's going to change the way we do church around here. Now I promise you this. Because the one thing I learned when we went away on this little trip this weekend was we've got to quit counting noses and nickels. We'll keep counting them, but the bigger thing is this. We've got to learn how to measure whether or not people are applying truth to their life. And in the world of business metrics, I know you might say that's a little obtuse, and how do you measure that? I'm not exactly sure, but we're going to leverage everything we can to do it. I want to give you some hope before we move one step further. There is stuff that you've learned in the last four weeks of your life 
that if you set out this week every day to apply it to your life, your quality of life will be 80% increased for the better by the end of the week. Promise you. What keeps us from becoming rock solid? The deception of knowing the truth. Second thing, the fear of facing the truth. This is where it gets hard. I've had some really tough conversations in my life with different people. I had one a couple of years ago where I was talking with a man and I told him, I said, I need you to listen to me right now. If you cannot face the truth of what a domineering, angry, self-righteous man you are toward your bride, I told him, bro, your life is going to be an absolute shipwreck down the road soon. He said, why do you say that? I said, because I love you enough to disciple you, and I'm going to pray down fire from heaven on your sorry behind. That's what I said. Got a call from his wife two days ago. Sure enough, he still can fog a mirror and he still has a pulse, so there's hope, but he's shipwrecking his life. Why? He didn't know enough, and he knows enough. He just doesn't want to face the truth of what needs to change inside him. When the Holy Spirit is working in your life, don't resist him. If you have a holy moment where the Holy Spirit right now is telling you, this thing needs to change, this addiction needs to be killed, this, this thing needs to change, do it. I'm with a bunch of spiritual stud muffins up at a retreat for learning how to do discipleship. To combined in that room, we've been walking with God for decades and decades and decades. And I saw something that was similar with all of them. It came down to the end, and it's like, what have you learned? What do you need to apply? Write it down and put the date that it's got to be done. Boom! And you know what I saw around that table? And around that whole room, I saw around our table, thank God, everybody from 180, you'll be happy to me, report back. Everybody's going, I got to do this, and this, and this, and this, and I'm putting a date on it. And don't confuse that with legalism. Legalism is puffed up and talks about all that I've learned, and oh, I'm going to start doing this in my life. And even loving your wife can even sound like self-led, self-righteousness, but you know it's the Holy Spirit at work when you feel bowed low and you humbly say, oh Lord, oh Lord, let me, let me be a man or be that woman that's getting freed from this secret sin in my life. I'm going to, Carl's preached on it so many times, I'm not going to let it sit in the shadows anymore. I'm going to tell someone before midnight tonight. 
I tell you, build your life on a rock, man. And some of you feel like, I, I don't get all fired up about Jesus in here. I got to tell you, you know what makes worshipers worship? Is when you dare to face the truth and begin to work it out in your life in practical ways and you watch the Holy Ghost giving you victories. Sometimes even your heart, if it had hands, couldn't lift a hand to God because you know a lot, but you've applied a little in the last seven days. Come on. Come on. Come on. Let's go. Let's go, man. Come on. I mean it. Let's go. Let's, let's go. Let's change everything we do around here. Everything. You might be saying, Carl, you're losing your mind. I hope I can be counted a fool for the sake of Christ. What keeps us from becoming rock solid or not applying the truth in life? You would agree with this, the deception of knowing truth. Would you agree with me on that? Come on, get some animation here. Come on. Let's, let's pretend we're at Tony Robbins, only actually the Holy Spirit has fallen on the place. Would you agree with that? All right, we would agree. Second thing, what keeps us from becoming rock solid? The fear of facing the truth. Would you be willing to admit with a big old yes, sometimes I'm scared to death to face the truth? Give me a yes. yes. That's lame. Come on, man. If you believe it, give me a yes. yes. That's exactly right. No, we're going to have a little rally here today, and ain't no one getting out until you're fired up about this. I'm kidding. Because <laughs> God's Spirit's going to do it. So we have a deception of knowing truth. The Pharisees. I have known, and this is not Jim Coakley, praise be to God. He's like a kid in a candy shop with me talking about going to Israel and studying the word. And he, I said, how'd your first week of school go? He goes, oh, it's awesome. These kids are eating out of God's hand just right here. They're just going for it. And he's got a big old grin on his face. But I can't tell you how many professors I've seen that are stone cold for Jesus, and they know a heck of a lot of stuff. Deception of knowing truth. Second thing is the fear of facing truth. And here's the big boy, the pain of applying truth. <laughs> I get some amen choir out here right now, because guess what? It's hard. And even if you're walking in the power of the Spirit, some of you say, yeah, I like this Holy Spirit wind thing. I like that because it feels like it's going to be a whole lot easier. No. There's just as much conviction, just as much potential for shame, just as much potential potential for the Holy Spirit kicking in the booty saying if you live in the Spirit keep in step with the Spirit come on now 
The pain of applying truth is real. Uh, a common denominator is I have seen rock-solid Jesus followers, and I want to repeat something I gave you about three months ago. Howard Hendricks, I was blown away by this. Howard Hendricks, man, a prince of modern preachers, phenomenal communicator. He went on to his reward. He was at Dallas Theological Seminary. He never, ever lost his fire for Jesus, and I'll tell you the secret. I was asked one time to speak at a family life weekend to remember kind of speaker's retreat, and I sat down there, and I'm speaking, and Howard Hendricks has taken notes. Now, I got to tell you something. I'm convinced I wasn't going to say one thing that Howard Hendricks hadn't heard before. But he's down there taking notes, and I, he came up to me when I got done, and I was my knees were quaking. I'm like, Howard Hendricks is coming up to me, and he's coming up to me, and he says, girl, that was a great word. Boy, have I got some stuff to apply to my life today. I don't ever want to hear around here, great word, Pastor Jit. Nope, don't ever say it again, unless you follow it with, and this is what I'm going to apply to my life today. One of the men up there this weekend said, uh, he said the, the, the story and the stats are is that 95% of what a preacher says is totally forgotten within 30 minutes of the message being over. And the other few percent is forgotten by midweek unless there's a really good story this is why jesus told stories that help things stick and click this is why i do stories from the little susit and like getting in the swift water with the holy spirit and things like that and i love to tell i did around stories because stories matter i still remember a jit story about the pastors that are racing breaking the law to get to a meeting i, I still remember that clearly but even more than a story to be remembered, I'm asking you to embrace the pain of applying truth. And, and, I, and I wanna, I've got a warning here because some of you are like, yeah, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. The power of the Holy Spirit will empower you to do the heavy lifting that still has to be done. So I've come to the conclusion because next week we're starting a series called Overcomer. I don't know exactly how this is going to work specifically. We're going to keep preaching the word, but we're going to get applicational like we never have before. Because guess what? I'm not getting any younger and I'm not driving all the way down here to just try to dazzle you with a few stories and some exegesis, and then we go on about our way. Uh-uh, I'm, I'm not doing that. Get another guy if you want to do that. I want to see us changed. Changed. I want to see your life built. Uh, yeah, come on. 
I want to see us built on a rock. I want to see you overcoming addictions. I want you to get out of those shadows of that shame and that weird stuff. And I want you to wrestle with the fact that you posture when you get into a group of people and the Holy Spirit wants to tell you how to get rid of that funky stuff. I want you to understand why you use your persona the way you do around people. I'm trying to be kind of general here. I want you to let the Holy Spirit search you with his word and then apply it to your life. Because the rains are going to come and the winds are going to blow. And you can know, know, know so much. But application is everything. So I figured I got two choices going forward with 180, two. I, we, the elders here, can keep pursuing doggedly disciple-making. That disciple-making with, without application is just more knowledge brokering. I, I, I'm going to say this again. If you've entered into a disciple-making process and you learned a lot of stuff, but you didn't apply too much, you are not in a disciple-making process at all. You're not in one. Being a disciple of Christ is going to alter you. And here's my two choices, and then I'm going to pray for us. Either I can continue pursuing disciple-making where we're applying the Word of God, applying the Word of God the pain of facing it, the challenges of applying it, the, the, the fact that we're like, Holy Spirit told me to go without food for three days because he's got some stuff to show me. Jose, help me, man. I'm hungry. That refrigerator is screaming my name. Carl, I'm on my knees. I'm begging God that you'll press through this opposition. Those are calls we need to make around here. Yes! Either we can pursue disciple-making that includes radical application of truth, or I'm going to have to take out a spiritual malpractice insurance policy. That's my choice. I think the policy is probably a really big number. So unless you want to take a big love offering right now, I say we go and apply the teachings of Jesus. So the application today is, will you apply whatever he shows you? Going forward, it's saying yes to God. Let's pray. God, please, please. The rains came, the winds blew. My hope is built on you. Make us men and women who hear and apply the truth.
Just apply it. Lord, you know these things that I've got on my little time calendar of drop-dead dates for the times you've told me to apply five things to my life. Two of them hit by tonight at midnight. God, give me. Would you pray for your pastor right now in your heart right now? Pray that I would have the spiritual anointing and then the courage to follow through. Just You can do that right now in your heart for me. And God, I pray, oh, I pray, God, make us a people who apply your word, and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand to your feet. Now may the God who sent his son to earth to die for us, to teach us, not to educate us, but to transform us. May he give us the courage to apply truth today. Will you say yes to God? Just say yes. May he grant you peace. Go in the goodness of God.